This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. Hey, everyone. So if you happen to be listening and you identify as a female, you are going to love some of the conversation that I had with Laura Rainek as we talk about moving away from mean girl stuff and really what does it mean to support one another as women and so much more, but I will get into that in a moment. And if you are not or don't identify as a female, but you know women who identify as a female, this will also benefit you because there's a lot in this when we think about women in the workplace, when we think about embracing our feminine qualities, there's just lots of good richness in this conversation. So if you're not familiar with who Laura is, she is an executive search professional who is the principal and owner of Rainac Executive Search. She's been doing this a long time and specializes with C-suite and board of directors position and really about finding the right person, right seat, and really looking at the quality of leadership. And so just to give you some preview of some of the things that we talk about, we talk about Something moving from considering that there's a glass ceiling to actually being stuck in what she calls the sticky floor and really how we get in our own way. We talk about that leadership is really about followership and are we paying attention to that and creating space for that. She talks about recognizing that so many of us are really have scared children on the inside and we're showing up as this child version of ourselves. and how do we nurture that? And really, she talks about a really critical difference of mentorship versus sponsorship. So I think there's a lot of little bites of wisdom and nuggets that I think will be helpful here and would love to know what you think. Laura, I am super excited to be having this long overdue conversation. And we're going to talk about diversity, people's awareness that diversity matters, that inclusion matters, that belonging matters. Yet a lot of people are stuck of, well, what does that mean? And how do we actually move from like a check the box to what does it actually mean to have environments and teams that truly are inclusive, that truly are diverse? And how does that look in business practices? And so Say a little bit more about how you view it and what you've been doing to help teams and organizations move from great idea to practicality. It starts with understanding that we have a natural tendency towards bias. And so it's kind of like you have to check your bias at the door when you come to work. You have to understand what they are, and then you have to be able to check them when you're talking to other people. And then you have to understand that people approach problems and ways of communicating and handling conflict in different ways. And that is also part of the work environment and bringing people together and just understanding those differences and building bridges. The biggest thing we have to keep in mind is that everybody's trying their very best every day, even though it doesn't look like what we would consider are the very best every day. And we have to encourage that. And the overall arching thing is I think we just have to align our teams to understanding that if you want to go fast, you can go by yourself. But if you want to go as a group, you go together. So you have to be inclusive. You have to bring people along with you. It's part of being very successful. I want to piggyback on that because this was something you said when we met in preparation for this. You said, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go further, go together. And I think sometimes there's this like everyone out for themselves type of thing. So how do you help teams 
really embrace that go together if we're going to go further, that it's not always about fast because fast doesn't necessarily have impact or fast isn't necessarily effective. Fast is fast. But how do you shift that mindset from fast to further and to impact? I think you have to remind everyone that we're all playing on the same team and you have to be very clear and succinct in your goals for that team or for each project. So everybody has the goal for the project that you're working on at the moment. And then you have to understand that everybody has a key role and that they are important. You have to help your team members feel like they are individually each important to the project and how each role is integrated into the other roles and how we sort of interdepend on each other to get things done. So it becomes a matter of, well, if I don't do this, it doesn't mean that I'm the only one I'm letting down. If I don't get this done, the team is getting let down and we can't advance our projects further and we can't get to where we want to go. And then just getting alignment around values around communicating, how we're going to communicate with each other, the tone we're going to use when we communicate with each other. And then for leaders, really taking a strong stance and nipping that unproductive and unconstructive behavior in the butt and not allowing that. Like really just saying, hey, what you said in that meeting was inappropriate. We need to address it. Please don't let it happen again. And if it does, there's a consequence. So people understand, they start to understand that you're building a communication and team system where people are basically encouraged to collaborate. There's consequences if you don't. And to understand that they're all in it together. But back to this checking bias at the door. I think we all have sort of this inherent way of thinking that person's different than me. So it's because they're different, they're wrong or they're bad or they're out to get me. And this inherent bias is part of our evolutions as humans. For us to survive in our tribal culture, you know, as we grew together, there was stranger danger. The stranger could be taking our resources. The stranger could be out to get us. The last couple of years in particular for people, very stressful. We had COVID in 2020, which created a lot of economic stress, and we all had to learn how to work differently together. And then the last nine months of stock market, crazy gyrations and political things happening, and more and more awareness of how discriminatory practices are being played out in different ways and being brought really to light. So there's a lot of stress around how do we fix this? It's kind of in our face all the time. We have to understand that we have choices in the moment. Like we have a choice. Something comes up, we're like, wow, that's really inappropriate or really I didn't like that, how that sounded. And we have a choice. We can ask for clarity like, hey, I'm curious, how did you come to that opinion or that point of view? Or how did you come to getting that idea so that you're in a learning environment and you're learning about each other versus a, wow, that person's really wacko or I don't understand what they're saying and I don't get it. I don't like them. Everybody on your team has to keep their mindset open and they have to be aware that they're going to have these little things going on, particularly because of the environment we've been in the last two years. It's kind of been indoctrinated into us. So it's really kind of a fight to keep that noise to a minimum and to say, you know, and make a personal sort of commitment to not participating in that. And then as a team leader, making that part of your value system, like, hey, we're not going to participate in that sort of behavior or that thinking here. We're all here to make this better. We're all here to get the best out of it. I think the more 
chaotic and unsettled our world gets, it it triggers people even more and more because it's in our innate human DNA to want to seek out familiarity and seek out comfort. So as stock markets going crazy and political stuff's going crazy in the world, this and that, we cling even tighter to what's familiar, which is our filter we have, the conscious and unconscious biases we have. So it becomes easier said than done to lean into curiosity. It becomes easier said than done to operate with that. People are doing the best that they can in this moment, given their level of stress, their level of education, their level of awareness, and how can we lean in versus doubling down on judgment. And so we're doing a lot of work with teams right now to give them a core and common language and tools to be more self-aware, to pause and disrupt that leaping to judgment. Can you share some examples of how you're helping teams do that? My role for organizations is to help them hire great team members, right? Great leadership members. And so one of the things we're looking at is not just how that person communicates and performs sort of on a peer level, but also how do they build and develop teams and what's their style. And so when we we look at key leaders, we look for certain attributes, particularly have they, how have they embraced change in the past? How have they managed chaos and very difficult situations? And how is it that they help develop and build their team members? And some of the things that we look for are, did they create sort of a common language among their team? How did they communicate the common value system? How did they basically build consensus and get everybody on their teams to understand we're all in this together? We're a highly functioning family unit, not a dysfunctional family unit. So we're really trying to build highly functioning groups and creating sort of systems and communication programs, much like what you're doing for this. But we bring in leaders that have demonstrated that in the past that can do this and that approach it from a really more, I would call, holistic viewpoint. I think the business climate has gotten a lot more challenging in the last couple of years for just about everyone. And so it's been a very tumultuous time. Leaders have had to learn how to manage a remote workforce, um, and now they're bringing them back. And then they're also like, well, how do I do team development when we're remote? And how do we get things done? And really um, creating sort of a followership is what I call it. Like, for instance, I was working on a project for a client, and my first question to them was, how do you create followership? How do you create people? How do you get people to follow what you're doing? And part of that is how that executive shows up, how they communicate, how they lean into their people and teams, how available they are. In addition to, you know, they they still have all of their commitments, but most leaders, their number one role is to build and develop people and to enable those team members to execute better as a group. I don't know why people think they can do this thing alone, but we just can't. We're not designed that way. And the more we can create communication systems and and teams that demonstrate this on a day-to-day basis are great. I have a client. She's she's great. She's building this amazing company. And I've helped her put together four or five members of her leadership team. But she's like, look, I'm building a culture where people are happy at work, where they want to laugh where we openly communicate, where like all ideas are heard, vetted, communicated, 
and where we treat each other with a tremendous amount of respect. And people work incredibly hard here for me, and I appreciate that. So something she did before the holidays is she sent them all home with a turkey, a Thanksgiving holiday. She sent them all home with a turkey, right? Little things like that to show people that they're important and valued in the workplace as a person. Those are the important things. That's what creates her environment. Sometimes we can get so focused on task and so focused on getting stuff done and we forget about the people. And you're right. I mean, we we are not designed to go so long. We are neurobiologically hardwired to be in connection with other people. And, you know, to your point with followership, and I'm glad you brought that up because you're not a leader if people don't follow you. If people aren't following you or you're not able to rally them because it's really not about you as the leader. It's about are you creating the conditions for people to feel seen as a human being in their full diverseness and authenticness. And it's really about are they following a greater collective purpose and vision and you happen to be that conduit. And so when I think of followership, it's it's not really about the person. It's what the person represents. And they're the conduit for really furthering a collective vision. Or, you know, it doesn't last beyond the leader. If that leader left, well, then it goes away versus are we building the sustainability for a collective impact? I couldn't agree more with all of what you're saying. The best leaders I know bring their humanity to work, meaning they're not afraid to be vulnerable with their team and go, hey, I'm having a really bad day, so we're going to have to go soft on our communications today. Or um, one of the things I heard early in my career, and I think this is very true, in particularly in tumultuous times like the ones we're in now, is that most people are scared children on the inside. And the better we understand that and the more we communicate with that sort of softness, the farther we're going to get. And I think it's one of the secret sauces that women leaders have in the work environment. I think it's why companies that hire strong women leaders in their senior management team perform better. I think on the inside, everybody's the same, right? We all get scared. We all hurt. We all have happy. We all have all these different feelings, but connectedness, belonging at work, creating inclusive environments, That's the stuff. The emotional engagement is how you get more out of your people and your teams. And when you can show them that you're there for them, I think that really helps you go further with the people. And that creates that conduit for the environment for high productivity. When you talk about, you know, most people are, you know, scared children on the inside. I think there's some truth to that. I know that in the coaching work that I do, and if you look at neuroscience, a lot of us are current filter that whether we realize it consciously or unconsciously that we have on reality was formed in those first 10 plus years of our life. So it was formed in in childhood. And most of the rules we created are flawed and self-sabotaging, right? And it's in self-protective. So there is some truth to say we're the scared kid because a lot of times when we're habitually getting hijacked by that 10-year-old self And that's the version of us that we may not realize is actually making decisions in this moment out of the need of wanting to feel enough or self-protection or whatever it might be. And so I think that that's universal regardless of what gender you identify with. And this is not about... um, gender, this is about energy. You look at there's childlike energy, there's feminine energy, there's masculine energy, there's elder energy. And if we look at just like the masculine and the feminine, masculine traits are historically the power and control and results. And a lot of that has not served not only not women well, but actually 
no one well because the burnout and the stress. And when you talk about the empathy and the caring, those are more feminine qualities. And I think from a leadership standpoint in the past, they were viewed as weak. And I think we're recognizing now they're actually power skills, right? But I think the world still has some catching up to you. We know that women are still not promoted at the same rate as men. We know that there's still this massive gap. And so many of the women that I coach, I hear them say things like, I got to where I am by basically quieting and dimming and muting the feminine parts of myself. Like I basically had to show up as a hard nosed bitch to be taken seriously and get where I am. And there's this fear of if I start letting my true self that I actually care about people through that suddenly I'm not going to have a seat at the table when I'm in a room full of predominantly men, especially white men, especially if I'm a woman of color. So talk to me about um, how women in leadership can actually own that, that feminine energy, if you will, and recognize it as a gift rather than a liability. So funny. I mean, I can think about my career and I, I used to fall into the same trap. Like I felt these things. I felt like if I didn't do it like a man, I didn't talk like a man. If I didn't act like a man. Now I was also raised by a super macho dude that told me uh, do anything a boy could do. It, no limits on my life. So I uh, got this uh, toughness to me. And early in my career, the toughness served me really well. And then it stopped serving me. There came a point where I could only get as far as I needed because, um, and I was talking to a, a, another woman who runs a multi-billion dollar public company. And I said, you know, I think um, the more we can connect with the feeling part of people, the better we're going to be. And you can't connect with that when you're in this sort of masculine energy. The only way you can connect with it is when you become more feminine and more, more caring about the people. But because you're in the early part of your career, you're trained to kind of like charge it and be hard. You have to train yourself to soften it, soften how you speak, soften how your words, your language, and your approach to people. You have to slow down your language uh, and I started to do that uh, I told them when I tell my clients now like, I really care about them it transforms our relationship they actually feel like I'm actually there for them they lean on me more faster too believe it or not and um, this very powerful woman says you know the longer I go in my career the more I feel like the feelings are the important thing and that's the unspoken thing that happens in these rooms and she too has learned to like soften it. And as she softened and hired people around her who can create this followership and people who are really truly dedicated to them, uh, she's gotten more and more and more successful. So I feel that there was a time and place for that. I the tide is starting to change, but so I think we're on this wave of this becoming sort of the way of the future. And and companies, very, very, very successful companies are looking at this. Now, they don't know how to implement it quite as well as we would like yet, but it's starting to become adopted in these organizations and more accepted. And that the bitchy kind of hard behavior is starting to not be rewarded. It's starting to um, inhibit people. And so we're learning how to become more inclusive.
I was just meeting with a client today that, you know, especially in tech, they're still very much male dominated and looking at, you know, how do you create space for women? How do you create space for women of color? And that, you know, they're, again, the world is kind of demanding, the younger generations are demanding that we have a space for everybody. How do we navigate that? And so we're getting a lot more requests of, you know, help us do that, like help us shift the mindset, help us shift the language, help us look at these things and help us uh, co-create it. We frequently would talk about a glass ceiling, but you say that there's not so much a glass ceiling for women, but a sticky floor. Can you say more about that? I feel like there's two things going on for women. I think that we're starting to have the conversations in board searches, board of director searches, and C-suite searches about hiring the woman who doesn't look like the men on your team, not just physically, but also in terms of credentials. Because there haven't been as many opportunities historically for women and ethnic minorities in the past. There just hasn't. And because of that, the pool of candidates isn't huge. So we talk about if you have a high performer and someone who wants the role, what criteria are you willing to let go of? So that's starting to happen in the selection processes. And more women are bringing more women along, which is even better. So these things are starting to happen. I happen to be a member of Women Corporate Directors, which is an international group for hiring women as board of directors for all kinds of companies. And then I also happen to have a, a CEO networking group that I have formed. And so I'm seeing it actually happening within my purview. The sticky floor part is really about believing you can have it or not. And I think you have to get your psychology in line. You have to create internally the belief and the feeling and all of the things that you want to create in your outer life. It all starts inside. So you have to believe you can have it and you can't take no for an answer. I think there's a perseverance that goes along with the sticky floor and with the believing you can. And then I think this is equally as important is who you're surrounding yourself with. If you are in an organization that isn't encouraging you to continue to grow your career or to stretch, then you need to find another organization or team that's going to allow you to do that. And you, I think before we didn't think it was possible to do that. We always felt like, oh, there's going to be somebody that's going to recognize me and see all my fabulous things that I'm doing. Uh, and we quietly, women quietly do not self-promote. And I think it gets us stuck. So the sticky floor has got a bunch of different elements in it, but it's really about mindset and speaking up and persevering. I love that because I think you're right. There's, there's, again, traditionally less self-promotion. And I think there's a way that you can self-promote and not have it be insensitive or feel like a me monster or feel like an egomaniac. Because I know a lot of the women that I coach and work with, that that is the self-limiting inner narrative of, well, but if I do this, I don't want to be seen as an egomaniac or they're about sharing credits. And so I think that it's not an either or in my mind, it's, it's a both and like you can be proud of your accomplishments and say, Hey, I'm excited about this. And you can also give credit to other people where credit is due. And that's not the same as just constant. Like, well, I did this. Well, I did this. Well, I did that. But I, I do think there's an art and a discernment to how do you promote and celebrate 
your accomplishments in a way that allows you to be seen, allows you to shine, that isn't off-putting. So I have a fabulous girlfriend and she's very accomplished. But every time I see her, it's, I did this and I can do that and I can do these things. and I can, But it's always in my face and I feel like it's so male to me. It's that whole power and control way, which goes back to like, well, if you're feminine about it, you're like, yeah, we accomplished a whole lot. These are the things I'm most proud of. In that context, it's, you can say your accomplishments and it doesn't seem like, you know, somebody's trying to feed you something that doesn't taste very good. I feel like that's the part of being feminine, the feminine power that the more we bring up, the farther we're going to go with it just feel like that's going to take us there. Because I feel like acting like a man limits us in many ways. Yeah. Anytime you act like something you're not, or anytime you don't let your authentic self show up, we're limited, right? Because we all have our unique gifts and talents. And that's why you know, I love to say, don't let it, never let anyone dull your sparkle because it's when we dim it. And I've been guilty of this. Like I was literally, it's funny you're talking about a girlfriend. I was um, traveling last week for a client and I met a dear friend who happens to live there for dinner. And we were talking about what we're both working on. And I was actually talking about being excited about a couple of awards I've gotten lately. And I was prefacing like, well, I know you know me, so this isn't going to come across as egomaniac, but like, here's some stuff I'm thinking about. And it was so funny because she's like, it's about effing time. I've been telling you for five effing years to get out of your own way and you do it to a point, but you've engineered smallness. And I'm like, oh my God, I really have. I really haven't fully let my sparkle shine. So anyway, I say that because it will only go so far or it's like, oh, but this is safety zone or because I don't want people to think bad about me. And sometimes we need those people who are that reality check for us and can kind of tell us if we're being too much, but also can tell us when you're playing a little too small, like get out of your own flipping way. Right. And I feel that it's very easy to play small for women and for ethnic minorities, Mm -hmm. because in many ways, we're kind of grateful for the opportunity. But to think about how far we've come with, with kind of playing it more small. Now, I think the barn doors are open and the horse is out of the barn and there's no getting it back in. And I feel like this is a great opportunity for us to say, you know, I can be great. I think what happens is the way we manage our relationships at work. And one of the things I tell people is it's really important. Everybody wants to get a mentor, right? Like get a mentor, get a mentor, get a mentor. You hear that all the time. I think it's equally, if not more important to get a sponsor. And so the mentor is that person you go to who says, hey, these are the things I think you need to do to move forward. But the sponsor actually kind of clears the path, right? And helps push you along. That sponsorship is so important for pulling women into the C-suite and ethnic minorities into the C-suite and beyond. I love that. I was actually having a conversation with a prospective client early today and talking about their DEI initiatives. And they were talking about they've been working really hard to set up a mentoring program to match particularly women, but really all employees of color with others and have a broader network and ha- have a different dialogue. And they've got in- business resource groups and employee resource groups, but they're trying to really foster this human connection. And they were getting stuck and things aren't working. And I love what you talk about sponsorship because, yeah, it's one thing to have someone else say, hey, or let me teach you what I've done or what I've learned 
friend or whatever, but it's another, like you said, to have someone that actually is paving the path and like, no, I'm going to bring you to this, or I'm going to advocate for you or whatnot, whether I'm also your mentor, like I'm a mentor and a sponsor, or you have a mentor and I'm taking you as a sponsor. Because I think without that, sometimes whether it's our own sticky floor or it is systemic constraints, we have to be intentional to create those openings for people. Yeah. And that sponsor needs to be in your organization. It needs to understand sort of the the lay of the land within your organization so they can do a little block and tackle. Because I can tell you no one is perfect and no one has made it alone. They can have those off the shelf conversations and continue to help promote you within the organization. So that's also it's not just self-promotion. It's also finding other people to help promote you. Because think about this. You're going to go buy a service from someone and you look at testimonials and you see a testimonial from somebody you respect. You're like, wow, I should go to this resource, right? Same thing inside an organization. Those internal testimonials really, really important and helpful for helping people elevate their career. So speaking of the sticky floor thing and self-limiting stories, I want to turn the tables on you a little bit, Laura, and invite you to share What is a self-limiting story that you still tell yourself sometimes, right? Maybe it's that childhood version of yourself that hijacks you. And when that shows up, how do you move beyond it so you can still show up as a leader and maximize your positive impact around you? Yeah, so I have this lifelong belief that I'm not good enough. And it's a weird deal. It shows up, it's like imposter syndrome on steroids. And I am incredibly well-regarded and respected in my industry. I think people would be shocked if they heard this about me because I always, I'm a tall girl and I come across as confident and like I know what I'm doing all the time. And half the time I'm like, you know, the duck on the lake, right? The feet are paddling, but you don't really see it. You see me moving. The way I get through that is I have a tool. I write, I try, I try to get to a hundred, but I get to about 70, but I write down every accomplishment I've ever done that I am proud of from one to a hundred. I usually get to about 70 and then I can't think anymore. I get stuck at like 45 and then I get the hump and then I get to about 70 and then I'm like, yeah, I don't know. That's good enough. And then I go to the mirror in the bathroom. I look at myself in the mirror and I read these accomplishments to myself. And then I'm like, you know what, girl, I'm so proud of you and I love you. And I sit there for a minute and just soak that in. It's kind of a tool that people use to reprogram your subconscious to actually get off the hijack. Because I think we all get hijacked. It's part of being a human being. It's super easy. We're all feeling creatures. We're running around, you know, feeling through our world. Sometimes we're aware of it. Sometimes we're not. But sometimes when we hit that overwhelm and, you know, you feel lost, I'm like, okay, I'm not good enough stuff's here again. Okay, now what? So I'm like, okay, where's my journal, right? So my list, the mirror, I love you, and on. I think it's been a very powerful tool for me. Because it it shifts my energy immediately from panic into love. And that's where I feel like I'm most powerful, right, is when I'm in love. We have to learn to start talking to ourselves like we would talk to someone we love. And we're so nasty to ourselves. You have to turn off the I'm going to shame myself into it. And I think women in particular have a constant inner critic running, right? You have to say, hey, I'm not going to listen to that voice because that voice 
is going to shame me into thinking that I don't deserve the life that I dream about. And that's just not true. Yep. And then we engineer smallness and we end up stuck on the sticky floor. So there you go. Yeah, right. It's all, it's like, yeah, exactly. Right. It's all the same. So gosh, I've been participating in so many of these amazing women's leadership events. I belong to a group called Portfolia. We actually created an investment fund to invest in other women and things that other women want. Like we want femtech and longevity fund, a food fund, an environmental fund. So we have all these funds that we're all pulling our money together to invest in other women and things that will help our world and involved in women corporate directors. And then I have my own CEO networking group and women's leadership networking group. And I have to tell you, 15 years ago when I became a search consultant, that was a small room. There were like three women in the room I could recognize in a big event, like Spit Conference or something. Now there's probably 40 women in a thousand. You know, it's like 50 women in a thousand. So it's coming up, but it's still a small number. We still have to reach down and help pull each other up. We have to stop thinking that being the only woman in a room is super important. It's wrong. There's plenty of room for all kinds of um, other women in that we have to honor each other's gifts. Everybody has strengths and gifts. And when you start to recognize other people's gifts and help them bring out their gifts, then that's when you start to create an environment where people are really feeling good about whatever it is you're working on, whether it's a volunteer thing, a nonprofit, or you're in an organization, or you're, you know, hanging out with your friends. I think it just helps. It's that one leadership quality that I look for in top performers too. And it's part of the creating followership. Yeah, for sure. All right. Are you ready for the quick questions? Sure. Go. Okay. Fill in the blank. Living authentically is? The only way to go. Yeah. I can't be someone else. Right? I mean, who who are you going to be, right? (laughs) It's hard. When the world is presenting an opening but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? I refer it to someone else or because sometimes I'm just not ready. Like I've got too many things going and the timing is poor. I refer it to someone else. Um, If I'm just tired and exhausted, I might punt to the next week. You know, I'm a go-getter. So it's, it's, it's hard for me to say no. I think I'll find a way to say yes. Well, and so I would say sometimes showing up as a leader is knowing when to put something off till later or to delegate it to someone else. That that goes to the territory. So love it. All right. What is something people would be surprised to know about you? Oh, that I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail in college with my college boyfriend as an experiment for our psychology of fitness class. All right. What is your favorite go-to movie? Oh, The Notebook. I'm a softie. That is a good one. What is your go-to song? We Are the Champions by Queen. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You got to have it. Yes. All right. I say something lightly because it doesn't have to be a thing, but what is something you can't live without? Horses. I ride horses competitively and I have three really good horses right now, so I can't live without them. Awesome. Awesome. Love that. What is something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? I think it's that moment in the morning after all that I have a menagerie here. I have uh, four dogs, 
two goats, two horses, and a cat named Walter. So in the morning after everybody's fed and I get my coffee and it's still dark out, I have what I call my prayer meditation hour. I use that time to read something inspirational and then um, then a book I'm working on and then I journaling. It kind of sets me off on a tangent for the day that is really helpful. Now, I don't do it every day because sometimes I got to run. But um, the days I get to do it, I'm just so much more centered and happy. Nice. And what are you grateful for right now? I'm grateful for this amazing life that I get to live. I have a good partner. He's phenomenal. We're building a really great life together. So I am just really grateful for my life in general. I have a life that many people envy because it seems to like all work out, but I don't think they see the duck feet paddling under the water. They just see me kind of smoothing across the top. Love that. So uh, the closing question that I would love you to leave people with or the answer to, Laura, is if you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior that would create more human workplaces and equip everyone to show up as a leader, what would that be? Practice the pause. Yes. Yes. The pause is a muscle that will not steer you wrong, right? Because it, it disrupts that hijackness. So love it. Love it. Well, thank you for this conversation. Thank you for all you're doing. And it was a true pleasure. Oh, no, thank you. I really enjoyed it. It's an honor to have this conversation with you because I feel like I found another sister in the world. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com and, of course, hit that follow button.